Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are now just over 48 hours away from the Los Angeles Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars Saturday night, 8-15. You'll get the game right here on 1010XL, only the fifth home playoff game in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguar franchise and the first home playoff game in prime time. The week went quick. Week went quick. It just seems like we were talking about the Titans a day or two ago, and here we are inside of 48 hours. And do you realize, Dylan Denmark, tomorrow in Los Angeles, California, that Head coach Staley and the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, and everybody involved, well, they're getting on an airplane, and they are making, what is that, a six-hour flight to Northeast Florida, and we will do it on uh, Saturday night at 8.15. We have a ton to do tonight. We are loaded guest-wise. Here's what we have for you. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Cecil Shorts, former Jacksonville Jaguar wide receiver. Always love talking ball with Cecil Shorts. We'll talk a little Trevor Lawrence, a little Doug Peterson, and we'll preview the Jaguars and the Chargers. Coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour, how about Marcus Stroud? We found out Big John Henderson is doing the first Duval on Saturday night. Well, how about the guy that lined up right next to him, Marcus Stroud? He was in Los Angeles for his Georgia Bulldogs earlier in the week as they brought home back-to-back national championships. So we'll talk a little bit with Marcus about Kirby Smart and the dogs, but obviously we want to get Marcus' thoughts as well on the Jacksonville Jaguars winning the AFC South and hosting the Chargers on Saturday night. And the 9 o'clock hour lights out. Sean Merriman, one of the best defensive players to ever wear a Charger uniform, a former Pro Bowler, a former All-Pro. We'll get Sean Merriman's thoughts on the ballgame Saturday night. And finally, at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, a guy that covered the Jaguars for a few years for the athletic, Daniel Popper. He is now in the City of Angels covering the Los Angeles Chargers, so we'll get the Chargers side of things from Daniel Popper, including the fact The Charger wide receiver Mike Williams did not practice all week, is questionable. Brandon Staley said he will make the trip to Jacksonville, but he will be a game-time decision. And I will tell you this, if, and I think he's going to do everything in his power to play, but if Mike Williams does not play, the Charger offense is a different offense. That would be a big deal if Mike Williams does not play. So we will certainly keep you posted on that, but officially listed as questionable on the Charger injury report. So as you can see, we got a lot to do every night here on Hacker After Dark. We do kick it off 
with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so I have a uh, variety of big deals, but they all center around one focus, one purpose, and that is the game here on Saturday night. I was talking to a buddy of mine, not a Jaguar fan, but a big NFL fan. Doesn't live in the market, lives outside the market. He and I were having a little fellowship on the phone earlier today, talking about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and also dove into the NFL playoffs a little bit. And again, I wouldn't call this guy a diehard, but he certainly is a football fan. And we're talking about the Jaguars and the Chargers. And he says, you know what? The Jaguars can't beat Justin Herbert and the Chargers again. They can't. And I didn't say anything to him at the time, but as I hung up the phone and I started thinking a little bit, look, I don't know if I'm picking Jacksonville to win Saturday night or not. I'm going back and forth with that. But the term they can't does not apply to this Jacksonville Jaguar football team. Let's give the examples as to why. Coming in to three and seven after the bye week, three and seven after 10 games, the Jaguars can't make the playoffs at three and seven. I said it. You did too. Playing Baltimore, trailing by a touchdown, two minutes to go, facing a fourth and five on their own 30-yard line. Well, they can't drive 70 yards on that Baltimore Raven defense, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Calais Campbell, Jason Pierre-Paul, Marcus Peters. No way, no how. They can't do that. Then they can't go to Nashville. And they can't go into Nashville and win a game. They haven't done it in nine years. They're not going to do that. And, of course, they can't come back from 27-10 down to Dallas. You kidding? 27-10 down, five minutes to go in the third quarter? They can't do that. They go to New York on the road, prime time. Well, they can't win a prime time road game. They haven't won a prime time road game in two decades. And they can't play in bad weather. We saw that earlier in the year against Philadelphia. And then finally, oh, they can't stop Derrick Henry in a four-minute offense. They can't stop the Titan offense. Tennessee will run out the clock. The game will be over. At one point this year, I'm not saying you said that for every example I just laid out. But I'm willing to bet you at one point this year, You, the most passionate and diehard Jaguar fan, in one of those six or seven scenarios that I just put out there for you, probably said that. Now, they can't do this. They can't do that. And they did every one of them. They did every one of them. They scored and got the two to beat Baltimore. They went into Nashville and beat the Titans for the first time since 2013. They came back from 27-10 down to beat Dallas. They went into New York and won a road primetime game in the pouring down rain for the first time in two decades. 
and they did stop the Titan offense. In fact, turned the ball over on them, scored the game-winning touchdown. And to sum it all up, they did go from 3-7 and seven to division champions. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm guaranteeing a Jaguar win on Saturday night, and I'm not even sure I'm picking them to win the game. I'm still going back and forth on that. But by no means, no stretch of the imagination, am I going to say any longer that this 2022-2023 Jaguar team can't do something? Because every time I've said they can't do something, they have done it. And those of you that follow me on social media during the games, you know, I've been wrong numerous times this year. and That's okay. That's fine. If I'm wrong, I will admit it. And I have been wrong. And I have been happy that I have been wrong. Another thing we've heard this week is that week three doesn't matter. Ah, oh, it's three and a half months ago. Chargers were banged up. That doesn't matter. You can't take anything out of that game. And while I agree that Justin Herbert was banged up, Keenan Allen did not play, the Chargers did suffer some injuries during the game. If you have that game on DVR, if you have that game taped somewhere or even go to YouTube, watch the Jaguar offense against the Charger defense. Now, it was a long time ago, admittedly. Ben Barch was the starting left guard. Cam Robinson, the starting left tackle. Those guys are both out. James Robinson was the tailback. But that Charger defense, that was Derwin James out there. That was Khalil Mack out there. That was Kyle Van Noy out there. That was Kenneth Murray out there. That was Sebastian Day out there. Bosa played the first quarter and a half before he got hurt. That was the Los Angeles Charger defense that could not stop the Jaguars. That was Asante Samuel out there. And again, are the Chargers different? Yeah, they are. The Jaguars different? Yeah, they are. But Jacksonville physically whipped the Los Angeles Chargers that day. The Jaguar offense whipped the Charger defense. And the Chargers had to put a lot of guys in the box. Once they figured out they couldn't stop James Robinson, this week it'll be Travis Etienne. Once they figured that out, they had to put seven or eight guys in the box. You know what that did? That gave Trevor Lawrence a field day downfield. While I agree, week three was a long time ago. And while I agree, you shouldn't say because that happened, that means Saturday night the Jaguars are going to win. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the NFL is about matchups. And in that matchup in week three, the Jaguar offensive line controlled the Charger defensive line. And as a result of that, Trevor Lawrence could do anything he wanted to do down the field. If that happens again, the Jaguars are going to win the game. And by the way, Trevor Lawrence in week three, compared to Trevor Lawrence now, we know he's better now. 
That was James Robinson in week three. Now it'll be Travis Etienne. I don't get the narrative. I've seen a lot of Charger fans on social media. And I admit they're fans, right? It's what fans do. Some Jaguar fans, I'm sure some of you are like this, but the Charger fans have aggravated me. Because they're talking about how easy this game is going to be Saturday night. There's literally some people that have the audacity to go on social media and tell the Chargers to rest Mike Williams for Kansas City. Don't play Mike Williams in this game so that he'll be fresh for Kansas City. Are you kidding me? Never mind the fact it was 38-10 to 10 in week three, but the lack of respect coming from the city of Los Angeles towards the Jacksonville Jaguars is unreal. Unreal. I hope the Jaguars shut those people up on Saturday night. Point number three. Jaguars play best amidst good competition. Think about the losses this year. Washington, Houston, Denver, Detroit, Indianapolis. Just rattling them off. Teams that beat Jacksonville that did not make the playoffs. Now you reverse that. Think of who Jacksonville's beaten. Well, they did beat Justin Herbert and the Chargers. That's one. They did beat Lamar Jackson and Baltimore. That's two. They did beat Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. That's three. Jacksonville's beaten some playoff teams. Jacksonville's beaten some good competition. Hey, look, they lost to Mahomes. Tip your cap to Kansas City. I know Jacksonville would love to have that game back. And maybe this time next week we're talking about a rematch. Maybe. Mahomes beat him. Kansas City beat him. But I think any Jaguar fan that remembers that game will tell you two missed field goals. You recover an onside kick, do nothing with it. You force three turnovers. Jacksonville played well enough to win that game. They just committed stupid penalties, had stupid mistakes, missed field goals and such. And then point number four. The national narrative. Jacksonville's actually getting a little more love than I thought they would this week. But I hear guys on ESPN. I hear the talking heads. And look, we're guilty of it as well. This is not the same old Jaguars. They are different. And if you go out there Saturday night and you beat Justin Herbert in Los Angeles, man alive. That'll be something. That will be something. There's still a lot of non-believers. Still a lot of people that don't either know very much, don't care very much, or don't think very much of the Jaguar franchise that are on our television screens every single day. And it would be awfully nice on a national stage for back-to-back Saturday nights to win these games. Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver. He's coming up here on Hacker After Dark. Before we get there, we actually have a couple of things to give away. Look, we're givers here on Hacker After Dark. Are you kidding me? The hardworking men and women of Jacksonville, Florida, 
We are here for you at 8.16 Eastern Standard Time on Thursday night, January the 12th. And Dylan Denmark has a pair of Florida Gator basketball tickets this Saturday against Missouri, 3.30. Be a nice little doubleheader. Go down to Gainesville, catch the Gators. That game will get over around 6. Head back to Jacksonville to watch the Jaguars. If you want to go to Gator basketball against Missouri on Saturday, be caller number 4 right now at 641-1010, and Dylan Denmark will hook you up with a pair of tickets. By the way, the Gators, back-to-back SEC wins. They beat Georgia. Hey, all you Mike White folks, how you doing? How you doing, Mike White folks? We got a couple in this building, right? A couple, a guy in this building that sits in this studio every day, usually on the air about 7 a.m. Loves him some Mike White. Well, that didn't work out very well last week for Georgia and Gainesville, did it? Florida's beaten Georgia. Florida went on the road and beat LSU. They're playing well. And if you want to go watch them, call her 4-641-1010 Saturday against the Missouri Tigers. Cecil Shorts talking Jags and Chargers with you next on Hacker After Dark. Three now. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers, Saturday night, 8-15. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL as the Jaguars will play their first primetime home playoff game in the 28-year history of the franchise. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing football for the Jacksonville Jaguars, part of a terrific career that he had. He spent the first part of that Right here in Jacksonville, wide receiver Cecil Shorts, always kind enough to join us on 1010XL. Cecil, it's been a while, man. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Excited to be on with you, Ryan. Um, exciting time to be a Jaguars fan, for sure. Uh, I didn't realize it was the first primetime game um, and for playoffs. That's amazing. Yeah, first, <laughs> like, yeah, primetime home playoff game. It's never happened in 28 that, years. You can imagine what the scene will be like on Saturday night. That's going to be nuts. Just watching the game against Tennessee, it looked like it was crazy in Duval. So I can't imagine um, – I can't imagine what – like, was it Friday or Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, it was last Saturday night and then this Saturday night for the Charger game. So it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting, man. Duval deserves it, um, and I can't wait to watch it. See, so okay, let's start from the beginning. I haven't had you on, I don't believe, since the off season. So this mm-hmm. season's been crazy, man. You want to talk about the ultimate roller coaster? Let me ask you flat out: how's how does a team start three and seven, and then even four and eight, and then end up nine and eight, winning the division and going to the playoffs? I mean, what a turnaround! A crazy turnaround. Um, shout out to Doug Peterson, man. He is somebody that inherited a complete mess um, and trying to rebuild uh, confidence back in certain players, trying to get team, uh, get the team to buy into what you're doing. Um, he's done a phenomenal job. Anytime you have a, a run like the Jaguars did, I think it's five, six games straight, whatever it is, um, and turn around and turn the whole season around, make the playoffs is credit to the coaches. Um, to being persistent, to being consistent, um, and the credit of those players, they truly are buying into what is being said day in and day out. And you see the improvement, Trevor, 
you see the improvement on defense, man. You see the the confidence brewing. Um, the other trade earlier in the year with one of the running backs, James Robinson. And at first, I'm like, man, James, I don't know. I, James was to me one of the the guy, but then you see Travis in, into the end coming along um, and making play after play after play, and he's a spe- special guy. Seems like a, a lightning in a bottle. You saw it against Houston a couple weeks ago. Um, this he finds a hole, and he once he's gone, he is running. Um, but it, it's a credit to what Doug has going on. Uh, it's credit to Shy Khan and them um, finding Doug and, and truly believing. And listen, once you get a momentum like this, this is what you want going into the playoffs. This is what type of uh, teams make long runs in the playoffs. So this is an exciting time for sure. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Cecil, I want to get to Trevor Lawrence and the offense in a moment, but Doug Peterson. The guy wins the Super Bowl in Philadelphia. It doesn't end well there, and there are different reasons as to why, depending on who you ask. But in getting to know Doug this year, seeing what he inherited with that mess that Urban Meyer left, and seeing the team be 3-7 and and then get to where they are now, Cecil, I don't think he's going to win it, but I don't think there's been a better coach this year or a coaching job under the circumstances than what Doug Peterson has done here in Jacksonville. Man, listen, um, he has done something seriously special uh, to get on this win streak and to be able to uh, not only make the playoffs but do it the way they did it on primetime, um, but not but to be in that situation. It's a credit to him and his staff, man. He's been a great coach uh, for a few years now, in my opinion, one of the better coaches in the league. Obviously, he won the Super Bowl. But um, getting guys to buy in after a struggling few years, after a coach that comes in and rumors fly around like crazy and i'm sure it's worse than what we can even imagine right from the rumors but to get guys to buy back in to get the best out of certain players to get the best out of the talent that's brought in that's a credit to the to doug and that coaching staff and and what he is doing yes he could possibly be in the i wouldn't be surprised if he is in the in the gets a vote or two for coach of the year um but there's there's uh there's something there's something to say about a guy that can come in after a mess and make things right. Um, so the future seems the future seems very bright for what's going on there. Um, but I'm excited to see uh, what else can happen this year, let alone years to come. You know, it's probably a little bittersweet for you. Certainly your time here in Jacksonville, you had, well, you had nothing that resembled Trevor Lawrence. Let's be frank about <laughs> it uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, when you see Trevor Cecil, I mean, as a former NFL wideout such as yourself, you know, what do you, what do you think? accurate um he's confident and you see his confidence brewing as the year went on as well i think early on he was still trying to figure it out um but then something clicked maybe after the london game where he just started clicking um offense being confident in his throws he can sit in the pocket he can make plays with his feet there's nothing he can't do and it's scary for opponents when you have a guy like trevor that has all the tools and the next thing you know it's starting to the game starts to slow down for him He's starting to make that big throw to Chris or Christian Kirk across the middle on the other side of the hash. He's starting to uh, see things, see the game slower, see where the guys are going, see where the defense is going before the play happens. Um, that's scary for a defense. He is somebody that he's going to be special for a very long time, God willing. So um, Duval made the right selection. It's one thing Urban did do well. <laughs> he, drafted, he drafted Trevor Lawrence. That's, that was probably obvious. Anybody could have drafted him. Right? Yeah, I think but, my Boston um, Terrier at home could have drafted Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> but he's special, man. He he is special. He's a leader. And you can tell the guys 
believe in him. Even when they were struggling on offense last week, you can tell the guys believed in him. They trust him to be able to make a throw, to maybe make a play, to get the offense going down the field. So that's a big thing, especially for a young guy like him. Cecil, you moved around uh, towards the middle to end of your career to different football teams. I'm just curious. You know, it's one thing if one guy has a big impact on a new team, but you look here in Jacksonville, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. Those three guys combined have caught over 230 passes for over 2,700 yards. They're all three having career years. And in Kirk and Zay Jones at the wideout position, they're both at 80-plus catches, first duo in Jaguar history to do that since two guys named Keenan McCardell and Jimmy Smith. Um, why have those three guys come in here and built that chemistry with Trevor so quickly? I think it's a credit to the OC, and I think it's a credit for Trevor and the work they put in. So obviously chemistry comes from, you know, putting in work in all season, putting in work for the timing during the season. But Trevor's finding these guys. Trevor's finding these guys. It's not like he's force-feeding anybody. He's finding these guys. You said there's two guys with 80 catches. He's finding these guys. These guys are getting open, and they're being schemed open. So that's a credit to the OC for screaming or scheming these guys up. They're figuring out, okay, uh, Christian's really good in the slot. So-and-so can be outside or the slot. Um, Evan is really good in this situation. Third down, let's look here. They're doing a very good job scheming and finding open spots in the in the zones or, the, or man coverage. And then Trevor's finding these guys, man. So I, th I think it's a collective effort. Um, and it's interesting because Evan, we saw the potential early on coming out of Ole Miss and, and with New York, but this is by far the best he's looked since he's been in the league. Christian Kirk, we know we gave him a, a tons of money, and um, he's out there with 80-plus catches. Like, you're earning your money. Making big play after big play, you're earning your money. Zay Jones' career year, whether it's slide or outside, like, these guys are making plays, and it's, it builds confidence. So once you continue to make plays and Trevor continues to find you, it's nothing now. Now I, I trust my quarterback to give me the ball. I trust my ability to make plays. Um, and then I think the biggest thing, they've got to stay healthy. Evan Ingram, for the most part, through his career, has been banged up. So for him to be able to stay healthy and then being utilized, um, I mean, the one, I guess, not the last Titans game, but the game before that was 11 catches. He went off. Yeah, 11 for 160 over. and two touchdowns. Like, he went off. And that's what you saw coming out of college. It is now he's getting an opportunity because he's healthy. He has a really good quarterback, and the OC is finding ways to get him over. Final moments here with former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. Cecil, there's no doubt that over the last couple of weeks, I guess going back about a month, month and a half, some odd things have happened, right? They're down to Baltimore. They convert a fourth down and five. They score. They go for two in the win, and they get it. Then two weeks later, they're trailing Dallas, you know, 27-10. They come back in the fourth quarter to win that game. They go into Nashville for the first time in nine years and beat the Titans up there. And then they're losing with three minutes to go last Saturday night and the defense simply makes a play. And, you know, we have a former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Dave Campo, on our station many times, and he uses the term belief. Once you get a belief in the locker room, particularly with a young team, that's a scary thing. Do you agree with that? Is there a belief in that locker room now that no matter the circumstance, they're going to find a way to win? Absolutely. You saw Saturday night, and, and I, I didn't realize, or I didn't think, I'm like, I didn't know how they were going to win. I'm like, but you can see the confidence in them. That defense, they were going to figure it out. <laughs> like it was, it's, it's called complimentary football. So when the offense was struggling, the defense was playing lights out. They're like, Josh Dives is there. We're going to make a play. We're going to get a sack. We're going to get an interception. We're going to force a turnover. 
Um, but there is, I, I truly believe with Campo, there is a belief there. And when you have that belief, you're hard to beat because you're never giving up. You're going to continue to play. You're going to continue to know your assignment, do your assignment, go out there and play ball. There's never a give up mindset. Whether in the past, whether you're, you see struggling teams that um, you know continue to struggle throughout the year, it's like they have hope and they, oh, it's a letdown. Oh, here we go again. For the Jags right now, it doesn't matter what the situation is. They think they can win. They believe in themselves. They believe in the coaching staff. They believe in each other. And that's a scary thing right now. I'm telling you, I, I'm not saying they win the Super Bowl, but I wouldn't be surprised if they can upset or win a game or two in the playoffs. It's because the momentum is crazy right now. And when you have that belief, those guys have nothing to lose. Like Jacksonville has nothing to lose right now. Nobody expected them to be in the playoffs this year, especially at the start of how they started. Nobody's going to pick them to go far. They have nothing to lose. So that belief that they have is going to carry them, I believe, to win the first game and then going into the offseason, whatever that looks like, they're going to come out hot next year. Well, it's interesting you say that. Look, let's not sugarcoat it. Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, we believe Mike Williams, and you got Derwin James and Mack and Bosa. I mean, the Chargers are loaded with talent. They're probably loaded with motivation because the Jaguars put a number on them back in week three, and everybody's talking. Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence on a Saturday night here in the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be fun, but there's no doubt, Cecil, that the Jaguars are going to have to play their A game because that Charger team is very good. The Chargers are loaded, like you said, man. You can name player after player, big name after big name. But at the end of the day, names on paper don't win the game. They don't. So you got to go out there and play. And right now, the way the Jaguars are rolling – <laughs> listen anything can happen it's playoff football you know this right anything can happen like literally anything we watched a fumble that went forward 10 yards and, <laughs> and then Josh Allen picks it up and runs it in this time of year it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win and I'm excited to see the Jags versus the Chargers this upcoming week yes they're loaded no doubt about it but Jacksonville got good players too and if I had to pick one I'm going to Jack. Maybe I'm biased. Eh, let's call it spade a spade. Maybe, maybe, I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm biased a little bit. Um, but it, it, for me, it's always been the hot team, right? It's tough to beat the hot team that's rolling right now. And I know the Chargers are playing well, but Jacksonville got this momentum and that belief that Campbell's talking about, that belief is real. Cecil, leave us with this. Uh, you're also a former Houston Texan. And I got to yeah. tell you, uh, Lovey Smith going for two in the win and getting it and costing Houston the number one pick only to get fired three hours later to me is absolutely hilarious because they knew that, I mean, the, the Texans knew they were going to fire him before the game, right? I mean, they did it that night, and I can't even begin to imagine what the GM and the management's thinking as the Texans are going for two and costing themselves the number one pick. Uh, in your group of Houston Texan uh, fans, friends, you know, what have you, what has the reaction been to that over the last 48 hours? <laughs> it's been it's been a whirlwind because uh any fan wants your team to win right but at the same especially a division opponent but at the same time i think more people wanted that number one overall pick um because of you know all right i, I have we have the power right we have the number one pick if we want to draft say a bryce young okay we can draft bryce young with no no issues if we want to trade back and get some more picks we can trade back and do whatever now Everything is in the hands of Chicago. So you have a team like Indy who needs a quarterback. They can trade up with Chicago somehow, give them, you know, I don't know, 
whatever they want, and now they can go get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or whoever they want. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That would be unbelievable if that were to happen inside the same division. Inside the same division. So, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's other QB-needed teams that can trade up and get in front of you. Now, in in the all, who knows who's going to be good, right? But for the fan standpoint, everybody's talking about Bryce right now. We need need a quarterback, need a quarterback, need a quarterback. So, um, if I'm if I'm honest, I think the Texans fans are pretty upset that they won the game. Um, I do think that there's a mix. I think most of the fans are okay with Lovey being fired, even though I was like, ah, I don't, I don't think it's, it doesn't look that good. But I get it. Like I think Nick wants to find his guy that's going to be there for the next five, six, ten, twelve years, right? I, I don't believe Lovey was going to be there. I couldn't I couldn't see Lovey being there for five plus years. I just couldn't. You know what I mean? So if you're going to draft a guy, a quarterback, in my opinion, you need to go fight, pair him with a coach and then go for it. Next four or five years, let's see, let's, let's see what happens. But um, it's definitely a little bit of frustration, but uh, I think even though as the draft gets closer, people will get excited because the Houston Texans still have two first-round draft picks, one for the Browns, for the Deshaun Watson trade, and then right now, as of right now, the number two overall pick as well. And to be honest, if they really want to be number one, if they really want to go get number one, they could. They have one of the most. They have some of the most uh, draft capital in the draft this year and next year. So if they really want to get number one pick, and they think that they have to go to get number one and get whoever that particular person is, I'm sure they can get the capital and trade up and do what they got to do. But um, people are upset that they don't have the number one pick. Yeah, we don't know what to do with ourselves here in Jacksonville because uh, by mid-January we've usually been two months into draft talk. And that hasn't <laughs> happened here, so we're we're all confused at this point, to be honest with you. For, That's a good thing. Yeah, former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Short. Cecil, always, brother, enjoy the conversation. Thank you, as always, and we'll talk again soon. Hey, no problem, man. Have a good one. There you go. Always enjoy talking with Cecil Shorts here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Yeah, Cecil always is the first to point out when he was here in Jacksonville, those were some down times. At the quarterback position, I think that was Blaine Gabbert. Might have been Trent Edwards in the mix there. Todd Bauman came in off the tractor and was throwing it to Cecil Shorts. He didn't have anybody that resembled Trevor Lawrence. And even with that, Cecil still had a pretty decent career here in a Jaguar uniform. We still have Sean Merriman coming up, former Charger All-Pro defensive end. We'll talk Jags and Chargers with Sean Merriman. We'll also go out to Los Angeles In the 9 o'clock hour, Daniel Popper, formerly of the Athletic covering the Jaguars here in Jacksonville. He's now been out on the West Coast in L.A. the last couple of years covering the Chargers. So we'll get Daniel Popper's thoughts on the Chargers and on the status of Mike Williams. Did not practice all week. Listed as questionable for the game. If Mike Williams does not play or if he clearly isn't 100%, that does change the Los Angeles offense. I don't think there's any question about that. Also, we're less than 10 minutes away from Marcus Stroud. How about that? Marcus Stroud, think about the week he's had. The Jaguars win the AFC South on Saturday. He was in L.A. Monday night to see his Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. It's been a good week to be Marcus Stroud, and he is coming up in less than 10 minutes. But as we did earlier... Gave away Florida Gator tickets. As I always like to say, we're givers here on Hacker After Dark. And Denmark, from my understanding, the uh, breaking news in the building 
is not only did we have Gator tickets to give away tonight, which we already have, we apparently have another giveaway as well. Yeah, I got a pair of tickets to Fleetwood Mac Tribute Live next Thursday, January 19th at Thrasher Horn Center. Hit me up at 641-1010, and uh, you might be my lucky winner. Fleetwood Mac Tribute Live. I know a lot of people that are planning on going to that. That's going to be a good show, and if you want to go, be caller 4 right now, and Dylan Denmark will hook you up. Caller 4, 641-1010. Marcus Stroud coming up next on a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search 1010XL. You'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you, Marcus Stroud, coming up next. Now... Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. And back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers in the AFC playoff Saturday night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing big games in a Jaguar uniform and a man that is still basking in the glow of his Georgia Bulldogs, bringing home a second straight national championship. Of course, one of the best defensive linemen to ever play in Jacksonville, number 99, Marcus Stroud here with us on 1010XL. Marcus, how we doing, man? Man, I'm doing well. How are you? Marcus, we're good, buddy. Thank you for the time. And look, I want to get into the Jaguars with you, certainly, but you were out in Los Angeles. You saw the 65-7 just annihilation of TCU as a Georgia Bulldog alum. You must have been on cloud nine Monday night. I definitely was. You know, anytime you can go out and win a national championship, especially in the dominating fashion that the Georgia Bulldogs did, of course I'm a happy man right now. Marcus, Kirby Smart is just scorching the earth in college football. On the recruiting trail, they're 29-1 and in their last 30 games. I mean, I'm sure you know Kirby. I'm sure you've talked to Kirby. Why has he been so successful? Why is it working out in Athens the way it is? Um, I think he's, he's he has a great coaching staff. He's uh, he's smart enough to get the guys in to coach them that could relate to the guys. He's uh, he's really what you would call a player's coach. And at the end of the day, he's a smart coach. He makes great plays. I mean, he makes. Good decisions, as you can tell by the timeout he took in the Ohio State game. So, you know, he's 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 building a he's building a great program. Like I said, he has the he has the proper players, he has the right coaches, and and the number one thing is those guys are believing in the things that he's doing there. So that's the most important thing. You know, a guy like you who bleeds red and black for the University of Georgia, I imagine you were very happy for Stetson Bennett from a walk on who left the program to then come back and in the last 30 games to go 29-1 and one and win two national championships as the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. I mean, Stetson Bennett will be talked about in Athens for years. As he should be. I mean, he was deserving of what he did. You know, the guy took it the long, long way. He, he went to JUCO. He, he did all the things he was supposed to do. He did it the proper way, you know. So uh, he he definitely should be talked 
amongst the great St. Georgia because he's done a great thing, and I love his story. A couple of more for Marcus Stroud, of course, University of Georgia, and then drafted right here to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Marcus, the AFC South champion, Jacksonville Jaguars. How good does that sound? Oh, man, that, that sounds great, man. That's, this is another team that did a great job of getting out of the mud. You know, they started off 3-7 and seven and, and went on a great run to get us where we are today. And, and, and right now, you know, they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Marcus, the job Doug Peterson has done here, inheriting the mess that Urban Meyer left, starting three and seven this year, and then turning it around to get to nine and eight and getting to the postseason. What a job by Doug Peterson! It's a great job. It's just like what I was saying earlier with Kirby and uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Coach Peterson has gotten those guys to to, uh, to buy into what he's coaching and buy into what he's doing, and they're they're turning around and and, and making strides. Final moments here with former Jaguar defensive tackle Marcus Stroud. Marcus, Trevor Lawrence certainly coming into his own as well. What have you seen out of Trevor Lawrence this year? Oh, man, it's amazing. It's amazing what a year coaching could do for a guy, you know. Um, he, he, we, we all knew he, he always had the talent. That's why he was the first first pick of the draft. But with a, with a different coaching, with different coaching and a set regimen and, and a, a whole different – scheme in, 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 in place, you've seen the, the strive that guys make. So, you know, we all knew he was the, the guy to do it as a player, and now he has the, the leadership to help him keep going forward. And, and like I said, man, right now we're on a good run, and hopefully this run can take us to the um, Super Bowl. Hey, Marcus, on the defensive side of the ball, a side of the ball you know very well, boy, they're getting after it from Arden Key to Josh Allen – and then, obviously, Trayvon Walker, a guy that you know from his time at Georgia, a first-round pick such as yourself. What have you seen out of this D-line as of late? I mean, as the defense as a whole, I mean, the last eight games, the defense has been playing nights out. You know, um, I, I love the stuff they're doing. Of course, you know, I'm always going to chip on my Georgia guys. But, uh, you know, the defense as a whole has been doing a great job this season. Hey, Marcus, final thought. Again, Marcus Stroud here with us. You know the Jaguar fan base very well. You know the, the pain they've endured, losing season after losing season. And now here we are. They've kind of turned the corner. And on Saturday night, they're going to have the first primetime home playoff game in the 28-year history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. What do you think that scene is going to be like inside TIAA Bankfield? Um, as, as the young people say right now, the bank will be lit. So I feel like uh, the bank will be lit. You know, uh, it's something that, that's been long coming. It's something that, that's definitely been preserving to the people of Jacksonville and the Jacksonville Jaguar fan base. So I'm looking forward to watching a great game and being part of an electric environment and as we bring home a, a victory. Marcus, we certainly appreciate the time. know you've had some interesting travel issues with everything that's gone on with the airlines this week. Thank you for making time for us, my friend. We appreciate it. Oh, man, no problem, man. You know, uh, anytime you, you want me on, I'm willing to be here. Go Jazz and go Dogs. Always appreciate Marcus Stroud for joining us. He actually had a chance to catch up with him yesterday as he was <clears throat> flying back from Los Angeles, so he was caught up in all the uh, – airline travel issues yesterday morning so I think it was therapeutic for Marcus as he was in I think JFK in New York on a connection to uh, be able to talk a little Jaguars and a little Georgia Bulldogs with us 
here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM. So more on the Jaguars coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. We're almost at halftime here on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. Again, Sean Merriman, former All-Pro defensive standout for the San Diego Chargers. I know, they're the Los Angeles Chargers now. Sean Merriman coming up in the 9 o'clock hour and Daniel Popper formerly of The Athletic, covering the Jaguars. He's been out covering the Chargers out in L.A. the last few years. One of the guys when it comes to Chargers media. And uh, we'll talk with Daniel Popper about everything surrounding the Los Angeles Chargers coming into this game, including the health of wide receiver Mike Williams, who has missed practice all week. He is officially listed as questionable, and it looks like he will be a true game-time decision one thing that you can kind of note from that, even if he plays, he's not 100%. All right. If you miss practice all week, and if you're a game time decision with a lower back injury, there's rumors that he's not going to play. If he does play, we'll see if he's 100%, because I would certainly, certainly doubt that. So, a lot more to do. I do want to mention this as well. Uh, when it comes to the world of college ball, last night, if you were with us here on Hacker After Dark, we talked about the Jaden Rashada situation down in Gainesville, the five-star quarterback from the state of California who had not enrolled yet at the University of Florida. He comes out, or there was a report, not he, but there was a report that came out yesterday afternoon that he had asked out of his signed letter of intent. His father came out about an hour after that spoke to 247sports.com, said that was not true. We had Andrew Ivins on this program, who was one of the head scouts for 247sports.com. He gave us all kinds of interesting information regarding the situation between Rashada, his father, where things kind of stand. At the end of the day, here's what you need to know. Tomorrow, we're probably going to find out one way or another. Because I believe tomorrow is the day you have to be enrolled to take classes for the next semester. And if Rashada is not officially enrolled by tomorrow, he cannot take classes beginning this semester, which means he would not be eligible at that point to come in until the summer. And you're not going to bring a true freshman in in the summer and A, have any chance of him playing this year, and B, have five more months of this whirlwind of is he going to show up, is he not going to show up. So tomorrow is probably the day, Gator fans, to figure out what's going on with Rashada. A lot of rumors out there, man. A lot of rumors, and I got to tell you, and this is a topic for another day. It's all Jaguars all the time. We're going to get back into them coming up in less than 15 minutes. This world of NIL... And I know, I know, the players deserve it, and I'm not saying they don't. And I know that every college football media type on planet Earth, players deserve it, players deserve it. And yeah, they do. They do, and I'm not disputing that. But it's going to start turning some people off. This was locker room talk. Yeah, I mean, there were several rumors today. Believe what you want but several rumors about the price tag that reportedly is the hang-up with Jaden Rashada coming to Florida. 
And the reports are it's in the millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And if those reports are true, and I got some text messages and some voicemails today from a few Gator season ticket holders, people that I call diehard Florida Gator fans, a couple of Florida Gator alums, they say it's not a good thing for college ball. And I just wonder, even though I know the players deserve it and it's here to stay, and I get it, I think when 17- and 18-year-olds are being fought over by schools involving seven-figure deals, I wonder at some point what the fans are going to start thinking about that. And we're very early in the world of NIL, very early. And the world of NIL is nothing more than free agency. It's what it is. Seniors in high school are no longer 17-year-old kids. They're not. They are free agents. And they will go to the highest bidder. And you can't say that you blame them. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their family's shoes. If School X is offering you this and School Y, oh, I'm sorry, the collectives. The collectives. Right, we got to say that. The collective of School X is offering you this or the collective of School Y is offering you that. I'm not faulting them. Is it good for the sport? No, it's not. It's terrible for the sport. And I know that a lot of people would say it's good for the players and the players deserve it. And some people that say that mean it. Some people that say that say it for the sake of saying it. And again, I'm not saying the players don't deserve compensation. They do. But at what cost to the sport of college football? When this whole NIL thing was agreed to, did we not realize that two or three years down the road, you were going to have schools fighting each other regarding millions of dollars to 17 and 18-year-old kids? Does anybody think it's going to get better? It's the wild, wild west, man. It's going to get worse. It's going to continue to get worse. Now, fans, if you don't care, that's fine. But again, I had people call me today that have been Gator season ticket holders for a long time. And it's not so much Rashada rubbing them the wrong way, it's this whole situation. Cormani McClain, the Miami situation, which also involved NIL money. It's already starting to rub fans the wrong way, and we're so early in this process, I just don't foresee it getting any better. I think it's going to get a lot, lot worse before it gets better. 641-1010 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Back into the National Football League with the Jaguars and the Chargers. Again, Sean Merriman, less than 15 minutes away. It's Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Nine o'clock hour is upon us. Hacker after dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. So I got a real kick out of this today. So Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, just annihilated last week by his fan base and his media out there in Los Angeles for playing starters after they knew they were going to be the number five seed. They could not go up. They could not go down. They knew where they were their five seed, and they kept playing their guys against Denver. 
And it's one thing to play him a quarter, quarter and a half, get him out there, let him feel good about things, touchdown drive or two, and yank him. No, but he played him the entire game, or three quarters of the game. And Mike Williams, one of their star wide receivers, goes down with a back injury. Today, after Mike Williams didn't practice all week, I saw a couple of quotes from Chargers media. During the Brandon Staley press conference, he was asked, can Mike Williams play on Saturday night without practicing all week? And Staley, according to these quotes, said, yeah, because it's all about rest right now. It's not about reps. Wait a minute. Do what? So on Sunday, in a meaningless game against the Denver Broncos, you put guys out there, including Mike Williams, who has a history of getting hurt. If it's all about rest, not about reps, then what was he doing out there? You have totally changed your tone in five days, four days, four days. It's not a good look. If the Chargers lose here on Saturday night and their offense struggles and Mike Williams doesn't play, I'm telling you right now, it's the way the NFL works, man. People will be calling for Brandon Staley's job. Fair or not, if one of your star players gets hurt when he did not need to be playing, misses a playoff game, your offense struggles and loses as a result in today's day and age in the National Football League, that could be construed as a fireable offense. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. He is a game-time decision. Jaguar injury report, really no change from what it normally is. A lot of questionables, but you would have to think everybody on there, Trevor, Brandon Scherf, Jamal Agnew, I'd be shocked if any of them missed the game. It's the playoffs, man. Let's go. You know Trevor's going to go. He's been questionable for the last six weeks. Daniel Popper of The Athletic covering the Chargers 20 minutes away. Coming up next, how about Lights Out? One of the best defensive players of the last 25 years in the NFL. Sean Merriman, former Charger. Let's talk Chargers, Jaguars, and more with Sean Merriman next on Hacker After Dark. Yellow. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. And back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers, Saturday night in the AFC playoffs. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. There's also a pretty cool fighting event going on out on the West Coast that we want to tell you about as well. It's a busy weekend, and with that, let's bring in a former pro bowler and an all-pro, one of the best to ever wear a Charger uniform, Sean Merriman, and he joins us here on 1010XL. Sean, how we doing, man? Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Sean, we're good, buddy. Thank you for the time. Certainly want to get into the Jaguars and the Chargers with you, but you not only have that to look forward to this weekend, you got a pretty big event out there with your Lights Out Extreme Fighting promotion. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend for me. Um, you know, we have Lights Out Extreme Fighting. 
uh, this Saturday will be live on Fubo TV at 6 p.m. Pacific. So you guys don't have Fubo, get it. Uh, I myself will be going back and forth. I have a little, uh, a small TV almost strapped to the cage so I can watch the game and, and also watch the fights. But uh, we have a huge fight this Saturday starting at 6 p.m. Pacific live on Fubo TV. Oh, that's awesome. We know extreme fighting is a big part of what you do now in your post-football career, but there is no doubt you are the one of the best defensive players to ever wear a San Diego Charger uniform, now the Los Angeles Chargers. Sean, back in the postseason, what's your thought been on your former team making a return trip to the NFL postseason? Well, you know what? Uh, before the season, right, you look at the, the roster they had with uh, Justin Herbert and Derwin and Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Eckler, Ken, uh, you know, Mac. I mean, just look on Bosa. You just knew for sure, right, this team was going to be uh, somewhere deep in the postseason and have an opportunity to play for a championship. And then the injuries happened, right? I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, guys going down for a game or two. We're talking about six-plus games. I think uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen only was on the field, I think, five or six times together this whole season. And so when you look at it like that, these guys still have an opportunity to compete in the playoffs. That's pretty remarkable. Former All-Pro and Pro Bowler for the San Diego Chargers, Sean Merriman here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Sean Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, took a lot of grief this week for playing his guys last week. We know Mike Williams got a little banged up. His status for Saturday night is now in question a little bit. What was your take on what Brandon Staley did a week ago? Well, see, one, you want to keep guys uh, mentally into it, right? So I don't believe in resting anyone. Um, I do think that no matter what, even if the, the, the – play also locked and it's not changing the position at that point you still have to play the guys now I wouldn't have played them in the second half um I would have gotten them prepared and what you want guys to do is to keep their same regiment uh whatever time they get to the stadium whatever they eat and whatever time they warm up you want to keep that same regiment going um but yet people are not off uh, uh brand when they talk about um you know whether he should have played guys later on in that second half that was a bit questionable um, I think for the most part, they're pretty healthy still. Um, Mike Williams, I believe, is going to play. But, you know, at that point, you just don't want to risk certain things, man. So you want to get, you want to walk into the game with all your guys healthy. You know, what a quarterback matchup it's going to be on Saturday night. Justin Herbert on one side, Trevor Lawrence on the other. You combine that, Sean, with the other quarterbacks in the AFC, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Lamar Jackson. You're talking about what, six or seven guys, all 27 years old or younger, all in the same conference as a guy that sacked many quarterbacks back in your day. What's your take on the caliber of young quarterbacks in the AFC right now? Well, it, it is studded, man. It is studded from Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Herbert, you know, Trevor Lawrence even start playing well as of late, especially with the new coaches that came in and kind of turned his career around a bit. Um I would say this year the AFC is complete toss-up, man. It's just who, who's healthy, who's available, which momentum is swinging which way. It, it really is a toss-up. Uh, NFC is a little bit different. I think you got two strong teams coming out and everyone else to beat them. Uh, but this weekend is going to be a great matchup. You know, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're young up front. They're hungry in that defense side of the ball. I love the – I love the – like Josh Allen, some of these guys, you know, I got a chance to talk to him when he first got drafted. He – uh, you know, kind of told me I was one of his favorite players, and I thought that was just so cool uh, to see what his career and see what he's doing. But they're young, hungry. Um, so, you know, for the Chargers to have success, they got to jump out in them early. 
Um, as you see, when they played Tennessee, uh, you know, when Jacksonville played Tennessee, they just have this momentum, this hunger about them, especially in the fourth quarter when the game is close. A few more for Sean Merriman, a former pro bowler and an all-pro player with the San Diego Chargers. He now runs Lights Out Extreme Fighting, and they got a big event this weekend. We'll tell you about it again here in just a little bit. Sean, you look at this matchup on Saturday night, and I had you on at the beginning of the year when the Jaguars drafted Trayvon Walker. And Trayvon Walker got a lot of comparisons to you coming out of Georgia from being able to use him in the passing game and downfield coverage to obviously be able to rush the quarterback a little bit. Have you seen any of Trayvon Walker here in Jacksonville? And if so, what's your thought been here on his rookie campaign? I, I have. And, and it's, he has some games where he's just flat-out dominant, even when he wasn't making a play. And, you know, that was one of the keys to my game, right? You know coming out, you know guys are going to uh, scheme against you, keep the ball away from you. But how much havoc can you cause to an offense? He has that. Uh, now, I'm hoping that he doesn't have it this Saturday <laughs> against my guys. But all in all, man, I, I thought it was a great draft by them. Um, he, he's going to be around there for a long time. And then more importantly, he fits that style in that team, their, their attitude. Um, and, and so he, I, I'm hoping that he has a great career injury-free and just keep doing what he's doing. Sean, you played a lot of games in the league, and we have a former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Dave Campo, that lives here locally. We have him on the station a couple of times a week, and when I had him on on Monday, he used the word belief. There's a belief in the Jaguar locker room. Look, they're not the best team out there, far from it, but they're down 27-10 to Dallas in the third quarter. They find a way to come back and win. They go for two late in the fourth quarter against Baltimore and get it for the win. They're losing last week, late in the fourth quarter to Tennessee. They find a way to come back and win. At a certain point, you start believing no matter what the circumstance, you're going to find a way to get it done in the fourth quarter. And I would think Jacksonville potentially could be a scary team this postseason. I, I believe so. And sometimes those are the, the scariest teams to play. The ones that have the most belief, they're hungry, um, they're, they're very confident. That's, that's one thing I'll say about this team. They're young, they're confident. Um, and as it gets later on in the game and the game gets close, you see them picking up confidence. I mean, the way they started to hit Derrick Henry towards the end of that game and getting after Tennessee up, up front, um, them feeding off each other, those, those are the scariest teams to play. And, you know, for the Chargers to have success, they cannot sleepwalk into this game, right? They have to come out firing first quarter because if you give them any hope, any desire where that game is going in deep in the second half, they you they will start playing, and, and, and they have done that in the past. Sean, Justin Herbert on your end, Trevor Lawrence on our end. It'll officially be the first playoff game for both guys in the National Football League. Now, you could argue Trevor played in one last week. It was a win or go home situation, but technically it was week 18. So both guys, playoff openers, what's your expectation for both of these young quarterbacks on Saturday night? Well, you know, for one, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, and I, and I hated the talk of, of him not being the player he was coming out of college because anytime you, you have a coaching staff or you come into a situation where you're not, you don't have the ability because of the situation you're put into. It's not fair. I've always, I've always said that he's a lot better than than what people perceived him as coming in. Um, and you know, when he's you know getting off of this mark and on the edge and he's moving, he's throwing the ball. He's he's very very active and he's very accurate. Now he had a couple passes he missed. Um, you know, the Tennessee game that probably could have closed it out or whatnot. But for the most part, when he's on, 
and he's being used right, he, he, is, he can be a detrimental to a defense. Final moments here with Sean Merriman. All right, Sean, I think I know where you're leaning, but what does your gut tell you about Saturday night? What do you think happens here in Jacksonville? You know, I, I think the Chargers win. Um, but it, it really, and I want to, I want to make this clear when I say about the winners, not about me being a homer. They are the better team. There's no doubt about that. They're the better team. But you, you're going into a hostile environment in Jacksonville. You have a young, hungry team, as you just said, the coach. They, they, they believe in themselves. They feel good, uh, and they should. They've been playing well as of late. So the Chargers have to start fast. If you start slow and start letting them put up points, and it, it becomes a game late in the third, early in the fourth. You're playing a team that's young, hungry, and likes to get after it. That's when you're going to have a problem with your hands. So I still have the Chargers winning, uh, but they have to start fast. There's no doubt about that. All right, Sean, let's talk about lights out, extreme fighting. Before we get to the event again this weekend, for people that are not familiar with it, want to learn more about it, talk about lights out, extreme fighting. How did this come about? Yeah, I started training in MMA a little bit during the off-seasons when I was playing uh, just to get better at my hand-eye coordination and become a better pass rusher. I wanted to be able to use my hands a lot more. Um, and I started training during this, uh, every off-season every year. Uh, 2018, I launched Lights Out Extreme Fighting. We are now on Fubo TV, Fubo Sports, this Saturday, live on Fubo at 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, so if you guys got the app, uh, you'll watch it. If you don't have it, get it. And uh, myself, I'll be bouncing back and forth between the fight and the game. There's no doubt about that. I know we got to fight, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm eager to see this game as well. So I hope everybody else tunes in the same way. You know, final thought for you, again, Sean Merriman. When the Jaguars beat the Chargers in week three, I'm sure you saw this, Zay Jones scored a touchdown in that game, and he did the lights-out celebration that you obviously made so famous during your career when guys do that, I mean, you haven't played in the NFL in quite some time. You've been retired after a great career, yet your celebration lives on with the next generation, particularly when something happens against the Chargers, your former team. That's kind of got to be a respect thing, right? I'm sure that you almost kind of appreciate guys doing that because if you hadn't made that famous, nobody would obviously be doing it. Yeah, well, one, uh, Zay's like a little brother of mine, so I, I didn't get on him too much. I, I de definitely took that as a uh, sign of respect. Um, and he, what he's done for that for that team down there is they, that's probably one of the best moves they made in the last couple of years by bringing Zay in there. Uh, the second part of that is, um, yeah, you're right. It, it's a um, you know a, a sign of respect, right? I think that you know when you're closer to the game, if that happened a year or two after I left, my, I'm mentally still attached to the game where I feel like I could still play. Uh, I was a little bit uh, upset or angry. But now being away from the game and being also a fan of these young guys, uh, watching them do it, man, um, I got a 12-year-old son. So, he, you know, he sees that as well. And it's, it's really, really cool to see. Sean Merriman, one of the best ever wear a Charger uniform, was an all-pro and a pro bowler, now lights out extreme fighting. Their event this weekend on Fubo TV. Sean, I know you're busy, brother. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers, Saturday night, 8-15 in the AFC playoffs. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's go out to Los Angeles, California. Let's talk to a man that not all that long ago covered the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Athletic. He is now out on the West Coast. His name is Daniel Popper, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Daniel, how we doing, man? 
Doing great. Looking forward to this homecoming of sorts. Back to Jacksonville for a big game. Oh, man, there is no question. You you lived here for a few years, so you can imagine the excitement. It's going to be the first primetime playoff home game in the 28-year history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That uh, That's still amazing to actually say that. Quickly, before we get to the Chargers, uh, I know you're looking at the Jaguars from afar now, but what is the thought on Jacksonville and this streak they went on to, to be in this position, Daniel? Yeah, well, I think watching that game Saturday night against the Titans, the first thing that came to mind is just how happy I am for the Jaguars fan base to get that kind of exposure in a primetime game to play well, to win, to get into the playoffs. You know, as someone that covered this team closely and obviously interacted with the fan base, like I know how passionate these fans are. I know how much they care and it, and they really deserve this and, and to get a, you know another primetime game. And like you said, you know, the first primetime playoff game in, in 28 years. Um, I, I think in terms of on the football field, you have to be impressed with what Doug Peterson has done offensively in terms of getting the most of the Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence playing like, you know, the, the player everyone expected him to be when they drafted him. Um, this offense is multiple. It's dynamic. They've got a bunch of excellent pass catchers. Um, and I think, you know, talking to people with the Chargers this week, that's the real thing that jumps out is just how many different ways they can attack you offensively, you know, a lot of talent on defense. And I'm fully expecting a great game. These are two very good teams. And obviously they faced off in week three, which is something that I'm sure we'll talk about. And the Jaguars, you know, crushed the Chargers at home. So there's certainly a lot of respect there. And, and the Chargers are firmly aware of, of what this Jaguars team is capable of. And they're playing even better now than they were then early in the season. Daniel, when you look at player crossover, Rayshon Jenkins is in his second year here in Jacksonville. He came over from the Chargers organization and I'll be honest last year was not the best year for Rayshon Jenkins and then this year uh, boy the light getting turned on whatever verbiage you want to use I mean the guy has made two franchise altering plays almost the pick six to beat Dallas and what he did last week and stripping Josh Dobbs of the football how what kind of player was Rayshon Jenkins out there and are you surprised he's having the impact that he is here in Jacksonville not surprised at all. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for Rayshon as a player. And he really came on in that last season, you know, with the Chargers in 2020 before he signed in Jacksonville. The Chargers didn't really know exactly what to do with him before then. He's a very versatile player. You know, they tried to play him, in, you know, in the slot as a nickel corner. Uh, they played him in some dime packages. But, but that season, um, he really emerged as a legitimate free safety. And I think like his ability to play in a deep part of the field, track balls, he intercepted um, a deep ball against the Chiefs in that season. I think he really emerged um, in that area in terms of his ability to really cover in that area of the field and be that center fielder. Um, and then, you know, with Rayshon, he's always going to play with a lot of physicality. Um, he's a good run defender. And I thought he was a really complete player. Um, heading into that that free agency, I think a lot of people were surprised at the contract he got from the Jaguars, but I certainly wasn't, um, just based on how he had played with the Chargers that previous season. A complete player who could play close to the line of scrimmage in the deep part of the field, and, and his success is not a surprise to me at all. Daniel Popper of The Athletic, formerly here in Jacksonville. Now he covers the Los Angeles Chargers out there in the City of Angels. All right, Daniel, last week, the Chargers and the Broncos. As I'm following along on social media Chargers media, Chargers fans losing their minds at what Brandon Staley did and playing the starters. Uh, Bosa went out, but apparently that was no big deal. Kenneth Murray goes out with a stinger, and then the big one was Mike Williams with the back spasms. 
Uh, now that people have had a couple of days to kind of compose themselves, what is the thought about the way Staley approached Week 18 last week? I still have no good explanation for it, and I didn't really understand it at the time. Um, when those guys were still in there late in the second quarter, I couldn't understand it. And you felt like it was inevitable that when you're playing your starters that late in the game, you know, inevitably someone's going to get hurt. And there's Mike Williams taking a shot right to his back. And I saw him after the game walk out of the locker room. He could not walk on his own. He had his arm draped around an athletic trainer who led him all the way to the bus. Um, and he could he could barely walk. He was moving very slowly. And, like, that's exactly what you're trying to avoid. Um, during the week, we asked Brandon Staley, hey, there's a chance that you're going to lock up the fifth seed before your game kicks off. Will you make changes accordingly? And he said, we're going to make decisions appropriate based on the information that we have. They knew that they had the fifth seed locked up. Brandon Staley said that after the game, it was communicated to him on the sideline. And yet there was Justin Herbert playing until the end of the third quarter and taking a massive shot on a rough in the passer. Keenan Allen was in the game until the end of the fourth quarter. You had Khalil Mack, Sebastian Joseph Day playing meaningful snaps there in the fourth quarter. You had Derwin James in the game in the third quarter. I just don't understand why you don't get those players out earlier. In my opinion, I wouldn't have played them at all. But let's say your argument is that you want to keep momentum and you want to play these guys for a few drives. I can understand that, but playing them that long, you're just asking for it at that point. And now they're in a situation where offensively they need Mike Williams on the field. Without him, they are not the same offense, and they cannot move the ball successfully without him on the field. And we'll see what happens there. But I still have not been able to get a good explanation for what the thought process was was there. And I thought it was a a bad decision that obviously now has massive repercussions. Uh, Listening to Staley earlier this week, it was pretty positive. Um, The both guys, Kenneth Murray and Williams, again, both I think is going to play regardless. Murray with the shoulder, Williams with the back. He seemed pretty positive that both guys are going to be available on Saturday. Is that your understanding at this point? Yeah, Joey Bosa will be a full participant in practice all week, and I do, do not think that's an issue. Um, he was coming off groin surgery that he had in September, um, so he's going to be listed with some sort of groin issue, but that's not deemed serious. Kenneth Murray is expected back in practice this week as well. The, the number one concern is Mike Williams. Staley said today that he still expects Mike Williams to practice this week in some capacity. I asked him if uh, Williams would be able to play if he does not practice. Daly said yes, but he expects Williams to be back in practice. So we're going to have to see what happens there. The other two I don't have a concern about. I do have a concern with Mike because even if he plays, you're talking about a back contusion. Backs are tricky, and it only takes one hit to knock him out of the game. I go back to he had a high ankle sprain earlier this season that forced him to miss three games. He came back against the Chiefs, made a catch along the sideline, landed on his ankle and a toe-tap catch along the sideline, and he was out after six plays. And so I – it's hard for me not to foresee a similar situation if he's on the field, obviously not hoping for that to happen, but just trying to, you know, provide some context here. Um, That's the one to watch. Even if he is active for the game, you're going to have to monitor all game and you're going to have to, you know, ask the question, is Mike Williams going to be the same kind of productive player when he's dealing with this injury, an injury that was completely avoidable. A couple of more for Daniel Popper of the athletic covering the Los Angeles chargers. Uh, week three was almost four months ago now when the Jaguars went out there and put a number on the Chargers. Now, granted, Herbert had just had that issue with the, the ribs, uh, and, and he was mm-hmm. injured. I know Kenyon Allen did not play in that game. That was actually the game that both Bosa and Rashawn Slater got hurt in. Slater, the big tackle, has yet to come back from that injury. Um, but, look, here in Jacksonville, Doug Peterson was asked about that. Trevor Lawrence was asked about that. 
They acknowledged it. They said, yeah, we might be able to learn a couple of things, but that game was four months ago. It's a completely different team. We're a completely different team. What is the Chargers' mindset about what happened in week three, and are they using any of that as motivation or anything along those lines? Yeah, I think inevitably you're going to use it as motivation, right? I mean, you've got wax at home, and now you've got a chance to knock that team out of the playoffs. Like, it should be motivation for all these players and coaches. Um, in terms of what actually happened in this game, you brought up a bunch of really good points. It was a really bizarre game in the sense that you lose two all-pro players in that game, and Rashawn Slater who tore his biceps. He was designated to return today, uh, but he will not play in this game, and they're going to see what happens over the next 21 days during his activation window. And then Joey Bosa suffers a significant injury. That obviously is going to have an impact on how you play. You mentioned Justin Herbert's rib injury. That was the first game after he suffered rib cartilage. And there was a ton of uncertainty that week in terms of was Justin Herbert even going to be able to play? If he does play, what throws is he going to be capable of making? Can he run? Can he move? What's going to work in terms of play calls? All of that stuff was completely unknown going into the game. And I think that was a big reason why the Chargers struggled offensively as much as they did. You know, after that game, they got a better picture of how Justin Herbert was going to feel in certain situations and things improved from there on. Um, and so I sort of point to that offensively. Defensively, the Chargers have gotten a lot better since then. They defend the run a lot better. They're much better on third down. You know, the Broncos game was an outlier. The previous four games, the defense had played at a very high level. Um, and so I don't think it's anywhere close to the same team defensively. And then offensively, you can sort of point to that Herbert injury. So I do agree with what Doug Peterson and the Jaguars are saying. It's The Chargers are a different team, and there were a lot of factors in that game that were kind of unique. Um, and so I don't know how much you're going to be able to take from that, um, but we'll obviously see on Saturday. The NFL didn't do the Chargers any favors. They had a Sunday road game. Then they have to turn around, fly across the country, and play on Saturday. Are they upset about that? Has anything been made of that out there? I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. I think, you know, the way the Chargers feel is they're, they're happy to be in the playoffs and they're going to go play wherever they have to. Um, you know, ultimately the seeding was, was, was what occurred. The Chargers have to make this trip. Um, you know, it's not an ideal scenario, but they, they adjusted their schedule. Um, they're going Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week, as opposed to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which is typical. Um, they'll travel on, on Friday and then, you know, obviously it's a night game on Saturday. So, you know, the one thing Brandon Staley did say is that usually when you're, when West coast teams are making these East coast trips, you have to play a 10 AM body clock game, which is usually where that comes into play where you might have a little bit of a slow start or might have a tough time acclimating. But in this case, it's a nighttime game, eight fifteen, So that won't really be a factor. And, you know, I think, I think the way they feel is these are the cards that were dealt and let's go play a playoff game and try and advance. Final moments here with Daniel Popper of The Athletic covering the L.A. Chargers. Now to Herbert and Lawrence. I mean, look, to me, and maybe I'm biased here, this is the best game of Super Wild Card weekend. Um, that's why I think it's getting the prime time billing. You look at the other AFC matchups, Miami and Buffalo could be a woodshed game with all the Miami mm -hmm. injuries, and likewise, Baltimore-Cincinnati. We'll see about Lamar Jackson. So I think the game of the week, absolutely, in the AFC is the Chargers and the Jags. And look, both of these teams are young. They're up and coming and both have very, very little playoff experience. I guess the Jaguars got a little bit last week in that win or go home scenario against the Titans. But Daniel, you're around the Chargers all the time, man. How do you feel the young guys like Herbert, uh, Mike Williams, etc.? How will they react to a, a playoff scenario for the first time? Well, I have a lot of confidence that Justin Herbert is going to play well. Uh, he shows up in primetime games. He's been excellent in that area. 
Um, the interesting thing I would add is that a lot of the pieces the Chargers have added do have playoff experience. So while the team hasn't been there since 2018, you know, Corey Lindsley, who they signed last year, uh, played for the Packers for his entire career. A lot of playoff games. Matt Filer, the left guard, played for the Steelers. A lot of playoff games. Sebastian Joseph Day won a Super Bowl last year with the Rams. Kyle Van Noy, you know, won two Super Bowls with the Patriots. So the Chargers are relying on some of that veteran leadership they've onboarded through free agency to sort of provide a window into what it's going to take in these playoff games. Um, and, and that's definitely, you know, a feather in the cap for, for how they've built this team. So while they haven't been to the playoffs as a team, I think a lot of these pieces that they brought on do have that experience, and they're certainly going to uh, provide some advice to the rest of the team, including to Brandon Staley. And final question. It's funny you bring up Brandon Staley. I mean, no matter what happens here on, on Saturday night, Brandon Staley's in good standing, right? I mean, I've, I saw people just going over the top on, on Sunday about what he did with Denver and, and playing the starters, and I know there were some questionable things that he's done in a very short tenure there, but he got him into the playoffs. I mean, Brandon Staley is going to be the head coach there moving forward regardless, correct? Yeah, that's certainly my expectation. Um, you know, well, listen, crazier things have happened in the NFL. I mean, if they go out there and, and Mike Williams is unable to play or he gets knocked out in, um, in, the, in the first quarter because of the back and the Chargers only score three points on offense and, you know, lose like a 13-3 to game, you know, you're going to have to ask some questions. But, you know, from what I've seen this season, what I've heard – you know, Brandon Staley has fought through a really difficult season in terms of injuries. They've lost a lot of guys, and they've been able to win games and get into the playoffs, and he got them to a place that the Chargers haven't been since 2018. And in my opinion, that's more than enough to to get another year on the job, regardless of what happens should on be, Saturday in Jacksonville. Should be fun Saturday night. The Chargers and the Jaguars, of course, we'll hear it right here on 1010XL. Our pregame coverage will begin at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Daniel Popper of The Athletic was here in Jacksonville for a while covering the Jaguars. Now he's out in Los Angeles. Daniel, safe travels, man. Have a happy homecoming, and we'll see you down here on Saturday night. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. And a big thank you to Daniel Popper of The Athletic, formerly right here in Jacksonville, now covering the Los Angeles Chargers out there in the state of California for joining us here tonight on Hacker After Dark as it is a big one. And we are now inside of 48 hours. The Jaguars and the Chargers Saturday night, 8-15. And, of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL with pregame coverage here on the radio station beginning at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Well, that'll just about wrap it up. What has been a very busy Night here on Hacker After Dark. Every night this week has been busy, and we will certainly have a busy night tomorrow night on our final show of the week. Again, thank you to Daniel Popper of The Athletic. Thank you to Sean Merriman, former Chargers All-Pro and Pro Bowl defensive standout. You now see him lights out extreme fighting. They have an event this weekend on Fubo TV. if you want to check that out. Always appreciate Sean Merriman joining us how about former Jaguar defensive lineman Marcus Stroud Marcus still basking in the glow not only of the Jacksonville Jaguars and winning the AFC South but he was actually in LA to see his Georgia Bulldogs bring home their second straight national championship so thank you to Marcus Stroud for joining us tonight and former Jaguar wideout Cecil Shorts also is with us tonight here on Hacker After Dark, as we look at this game every way imaginable 
only the fifth home playoff game in Jaguar history and the first home primetime playoff game in Jaguar history when the Chargers roll in on Saturday night. We will be back tomorrow for our final show of the week, and we'll do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.